At the beginning of the parsha, we find that Rivka was expecting, and she didn't know apparently that it was twins. By <laughs> the children, these two boys that were embryos in the mother's stomach, um, were kicking around inside of her. And Rashi brings the famous medrash that when she would pass by a shul. So Yaakov would be mefarches lotzes. Yaakov would be scurrying to leave. He'd want to go out and, and, and go to the shul. And when they passed by, when his mother, when their mother passed by the base, the Aved, um, Zara, the church, the base Akum, then Esav would be mefarches lotzes. And so the question is, how did they know? How did Yaakov and Esav know when she was passing by a shul versus when she was passing by a tumma, a church? There was no periscope inside of the of the mother to know where she was walking. There was no GPS. There was no way for them to determine exactly where their mother was walking. I mean, it's a simple question. Maybe it's something that you know isn't problematic to most. Something that bothered me. How did they know? They had Ruach HaKadosh. So I think that that may be so, but I think that there is something more that we could derive from this, from this, from this Medrash. And it might not be that they had Ruach HaKadosh, but they had a Reach HaKadosh, or at least Yaakov did. See, Ruach is something that's very powerful. The power of smell the power to be able to sense something without seeing it even is something that we know that human beings have. And this Ruach, or this Reach of Kedusha is something that Yaakov Avinu had instinctively, so much so that when he passed by, when his mother passed by a Makkam of Kedusha, he was able to smell the Kedusha. There is a way to perceive Kedusha even when you don't see it with your eyes, but the smell, the chush of Reach, is there and it's so pungent, it's so powerful, it's so strong that you're able to perceive something without even seeing it. And Zelu Mazeh, the Kayach of Tumah, is so pervasive that if a person would be able to smell Tumah, there is a smell to it. There is a power that people that are sensitive to things will be able to smell this tumah, which Asa was able to smell. He was able to have a geshmach from the base of Adazara, even though he didn't actually see it. He was able to feel it. He was able to sense that there was tumah, and he wanted to go there. He was attracted to that kayak of tumah. I went to a yeshiva... In, uh, in Long Beach, where I grew up, um, the Masifta of Long Beach, which right now is going through a terrible period of, uh, of Golos, the yeshiva itself was actually uh, kept intact. Baruch Hashem was a nace. The building is pretty dry. Even the first floor is, you know, which was right on the, the river, was passing right by the yeshiva, and that's okay. But the dormitories are, are furbus. I passed by them the other day. And the Rabbeim's houses, I think 11 Rabbeim own houses in Long Beach, and all of them in various stages of uh, disrepair and 
much worse. Um, similar to all houses. I mean, if you go through Long Beach, you see Kamat, every house has a pile of debris, a mountain of debris outside of the ha- homes with ripping out sheetrock and carpet. Anyway, but there is a, uh, it's a sara for that yeshiva in particular, for other yeshivas that are completely without a home and they're trying to scurry to find a different place to, you know, to, to, to continue with their holy work and it's a wonderful yeshiva it's one of the, the best yeshivas in the country so the yeshiva there is a uh, Talmud of Rav Aaron Kotler Rav Aaron's yard site by the way is today the 50th yard site of Rav Aaron is today and there's a very they're making in Lakewood a very big Shabbos with all of the many of the prominent alumni Talmudim of Rav Aaron are coming to Lakewood and there's all types of drushes and Kumzitsin and, and get togethers throughout the city and it's uh, something that's very important to to be makritaiv and to just stand to recognize that Aaron was the person who built who built America physically, literally. He was the one that was all of the elementary schools in the country through Tyre Masara, him and Shagafal and Lovitz built them. He brought this concept to America of a Kailal of being able to learn Tayrasayim Nasai the many yeshivas, the high schools in about the Medrashim throughout America, such as Long Beach, Philly, uh, Scranton, and, uh, you know, yeshivas all over in Los Angeles and in, uh, you know, in Denver and in, uh, throughout the, and then there were Kyle and Lakewood Kyle's in Ottawa and in, and in Scranton and in, and in Los Angeles again and in, oh, there are many, many, if you'd see a map of America, it would be dotted throughout the country by places that are directly or indirectly Talmudim of Ravarim. And so to understand what the loss at the time was when Ravarim was Nifter and, and but how much he accomplished in his life, he was a brilliant person, he was a person that had um, a, a rapid fire mind, he was like a, you know, like an Einstein mind, and he dedicated his life for Tayyaf, even though, you know, there was a lot of pressure not. He was a Yasim, I believe, and he, uh, and his sister, who was very influential in his life growing up, she very much wanted him to be a doctor. A, uh, not a doctor, but more a mathematician or a PhD in, in math, because he had a brilliant mind. And I think even the Yamel, she was in a nursing home. Rabbi Steinberg from the Young Israel told me that she, this sister was in a nursing home in Queens. And Chavitz Chaim guys used to go and, you know, visit the nursing homes. And here was this, you know, the sister of Aaron Cutler sitting in a nursing home. And she was still, I, th- I think, outside Yama, if I remember exactly where Steinberg said, so he's still saying, he could have been a great mathematician. And Aaron could have been, like, she was still, like, lamenting the fact that Nebuch, he had to be this, this rabbi of, a, you know, an institution in, in New Jersey somewhere. She didn't know exactly what he was. But Aaron became the fire and the and the entire spirit of America, the Torah in America is really primarily because of Aaron College, because of one man. His 50th yard site is a very big milestone. And his Talmud, one of his best Talmudim, his most prominent was Rebitzel Fegelstock, is Rebitzel Fegelstock. Zalgazunzain is not exactly a well man. He suffered a stroke maybe about 10 years ago on a Pesach. And so he's very, you know, not able to do what he was able to do for the better part of his life, 
which is, you know, vibrantly bimaymet talmidim, but he still has a very strong hashpa on his many talmidim. And one of his shmuzen he gave, and he was always quoting Rav Aaron, but in this one shmuz he said, I don't know if it was B'Shem Rav Aaron, but he said that when you go into a base medrash, you're able to smell. So that if you're holding there, not everybody's holding there, but if you have, if you're a Ben Taira and you have a, you know, you have the sensitivity to Kedusha, he used to say that you're able to go into a yeshiva and smell the Kedusha. And depending on how, how steeped in learning the Eilam is, you know, how, how much Amelos is taking place, how much Yerushamayim there is in the yeshiva, how much, you know, there, Dibok and Pilpul Chaveirim, there is, the smell of Taira, of Kedusha, is much stronger. And the lesser yeshivas is lesser, and it's true. If you go into, you know, certain yeshivas, you know, you just walk in there and you smell the Kedusha, you smell the Taira. If you walk into a Lakewood, if you walk into our base manager, if you walk into a uh, um, mirror in Brooklyn, if you walk into the mirror in Eretzisrael, you know, there are certain yeshivas you go in, and before you even hear, even if it was empty, even if there isn't a single person to talk to, you just feel that there's something holy. I went a few weeks ago to Baltimore. Uh, I was asked to speak in a, in a shul called Sheirith Israel. It's a, it's a, um, it was a very old shul, and it was founded indirectly, or it was a, it was a gilgal of a shul that was uh, founded by Rabbi Avram uh, Rice. And Rabbi Avram Rice was the first Muslim that came to America, and it was his 150th yard site. So they asked me to speak there because he was a Talmud Chaver of the Wurzburg Rav, my great-great-grandfather. And anyway, but I spoke in the shul. I took my son, Shleimler, with me. We drove down to Baltimore. Um, and as soon as we walked into this shul, which was Rabbi Schwab's shul, before Schwab went to Breuer's, he was a Rav in Baltimore, and we just walked in there and we looked, it was an empty shul, and we walked in, it was empty, and we looked at each other and we said, wow, this is a shul. There was not a single person in the room, but just the smell, there was some, there was so much history, like it was, there was the wooden pews and the, the Arnachaydesh and the, you know, the Pereichas, it was just some, sometimes you walk into a room and you just margish, bechush, the special nature of what it is, even if you don't see a thing. Sometimes the chush of the reach, the smell, the perception is so much more powerful than sight. And that's why when Yaakov Avinu passed by the, the Bate Knesiais, there was a, an ability, even as a, as an embryo inside of a mother, you're able, if you were sensitive to Kedusha, you were able to smell as you're passing by without seeing anything. You're able to sense there's something holy here. And Lumas that Asab when he passed by a Tumma, sometimes you walk in the street and you pass by a, a, a you know a Makkam that's not holy, for sure a church, but even less than that, you know, and you smell that there's something wrong. And on the way to Shul, you know, on the way to Young Israel of Queens Valley from my house, which you have to pass a church. And obviously I know it's a church, but there's just something you pass by any odor, any smell that you smell, you just like it's nimas. It's not. It's it, you just feel that there's tumma, and there's a ma'aser. The a well-known ma'aser that he, Rebbe was in America, which is some an interesting 
you know, it changes the whole face of America, the fact that Rebbe Hanan walked on this, on this soil in America. And he came here to collect money before the war for his yeshiva. And he, he was mashpia a lot during those weeks that he was here. There's a lot of famous stories about him being here and how he was mashpia on young, you know, up-and-coming leaders of Kal Yisrael. And he invested in them the, the bren, the fire, to be able to build Tyran in, on these shores. But Rebbe Hanan, on the, when he was being driven through Manhattan to get to a certain wealthy donor or wealthy donors, he, his eyes were shut the whole time. As his driver was driving him through, he didn't want to see anything. But his driver drove him down 42nd Street in Manhattan. And we shouldn't know from it, but 42nd Street, I think they, you know, Giuliani, I think, cleaned it up somewhat. But it, was, it used to be, and I'm sure it still is, it was the Avi Satoma in New York. That was the the Makkam of Znus and, and, and all the all the priests in New York was the, the epicenter of that was on 42nd Street in Midtown Manhattan. And even, you know, and I'm sure it was much cleaner back in the 1930s when, when Rebbe Khan was there, but Rebbe Khanen, even though his eyes were closed as he was driven down 42nd Street, he was like screaming. He says, where are you taking me? What are you doing? Like this is, I feel the Tumah. What? Where are we? What are you doing? And the driver explained to him that Taka, you know, this was a, a very bad place that he was taken. Rebbe Khanan says, Afterwards, he says, Nisgab mi bi He said, I don't understand. How is it Shayat in New York City that there is an ability to learn Taira and to teach Taira? He says, it's, it's beyond me. I don't understand how in a place that has such Tumah, a person is able to learn. And that was circa 1938, 39. You know, what would Rebbe Khanan say today in any place in the world? But that's where the kayak of Tumah, the reyach of Tumah, is so pervasive to people that are sensitive. We don't, you know, we do everything. We drive through every city and every place, and it maybe doesn't, we don't even pick up on it. That's a chisarin in us. If we were able to have this extra, you know, sensory ability, if we would have our, our antennas that were up and our radar screens that were properly calibrated, we would be able to sense Kedusha. We would be able to feel Tumah. Because there's a rayaf, there's a spirit of Kedusha, and there's a spirit of Tumah, and a person has to be able to be sensitive to both and to run after the Kedusha, to mefarches lotzes, towards the Kedusha, and to be understanding when Tumah is is around how to run away from that and how to be disgusted by it. This Indian of a Reach of Kedusha we find later in the Parsha as well. The Parsha says that when Yitzchak Avino wanted to give a bracha, he was going to bench Esav and he told Esav, go and bring me Sayyid Go bring me a delicious meal, and then I'm going to bench you. We learned about in, a, in one of the Vadin this week from Rapinkas. He explained so beautifully why you needed to eat in order to give a bracha. He explains how eating is such a holy endeavor that only when you eat and you feel good, how you get a connection with the Rabbi Shalom, and that was able to bestow a bracha upon 
upon the mavara, the, the the person that was going to get the bracha. But Yaakov, of course, takes the big day Esav and he puts them on him. Rivka dresses him in order to fool Yaakov Avinu, and he smells as he comes in the room. Yitzchak smells the reach, the gadov, and the pasuk says that Yaakov says Yitzchak says re'e see. The reach of my son is kereach sadeh Hashem. It's like the reach, it's like the smell of the fields that are benches. So Rashi brings that we learn from here that nichnas imay reach ganeden. When Yaakov Vino came with the big de'esav, he smelled with the smells, the odor, the aroma of ganeden. We know that in Ganeidem there are it's an apple orchard. We say in uh, in 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 there are whatever this means, but there on a on a very spiritual plane there are apple orchards. That's the smell of Ganeidem and. That is the smell that came in. That's the aroma that was on the begadim that was worn by Yaakov Avinu. And Rabbi Rucham Levavitz in Das Taira explains this Indian. What exactly was going on? What exactly does that mean that he was able to smell the state hapuchem, the reach of Gan Eden? So he brings a chayvis halvavis in the Sharach Niyah. The Chavis HaVavis in Parak Vav says, Amaisa with Eliyah Navi. Eliyah Navi was walking together with somebody else, and they passed by a carcass on the road. That's what the Chavis HaVavis says, and the carcass, this roadkill, smelled, had a terrible stench, and the person walking with Eliyah Navi held his nose as they were passing by. And Eliyahu Navi notices this, and he says to him, look how beautiful, look how white the teeth of this carcass is. <coughs> now this itself, this part of the Chavis HaVavis is used in, by many Bali Musar on, on a different theme altogether, just to, you know, how to have, 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 have a positive, you know, upbeat, optimistic view of the world. You see from Eliyahu Navi, other people, some people look at the glass as being perpetually half empty. Eliyahu Navi was able to look at the positive. He was able to look at the glass being half full. Yes, it might smell, but we don't put our fingers on our nose. It's not, look at the positive. It's a, a breather of Eliyahu made. It has beautiful white teeth. Look at the positive. Don't always harp on the negative. But the Medrash continues, says the Chavis Avavis, they passed by afterwards an Adam who was chayte, a man who, who was a very big sinner. And then Eliyah Navi puts his hand on his nose, holds his nose together, and says, this smells, there's a terrible odor that's coming out of this person. That's the end of the Chayus HaVavis. That's the end of the Medrash. Zakhtar Biruchim, what do you see from this Medrash? That people that are sensitive, and Eliyahu Navi is able to detect tumah in a person, something that is putrid, smelling as a as a carcass. It didn't bother Eliyahu Navi, 
For what did bother Eliyahu Navi was when he sensed that there was tumah, when he sensed that there was a chet. That's something that bothered him. And that, says Rabbi Rucham, is exactly what Yaakov Yitzchak Avinu had in terms of perception. He was able to sense Kedusha versus sensing Tumah. And when a person is able to be on that level, he's able to be margish b'chush whether or not there's Kedusha or Tumah. And so the Reach of Gan Eden of Yaakov Avinu was so clear to Yitzchak that he was able to smell the Ruach HaKadosh, the Gan Eden, the Chakal Tapuchen, when he walked in, because that's how perceptive people are. You know, when you go to Eretz Yisrael, a lot of people make it their business to go to visit Gedalim. You know, they go to Rav Yashiv, and they go to Rav Kanyaski, they make their rounds, and I, you know, and for Brachas, and that's obviously something that, you know, I could understand the value of. Personally, I try to stay away from Gedalim. I don't, first of all, I don't feel that it's appropriate to take away their time from learning and, you know, just for a photo op or unless you really need something very badly, you need a bracha, you need some sort of Yeshua, then that's where Gedalim, you know, are, are wonderful, you know, wonderful resources of, of bracha. But just stop because you want to tell people you went to Rav and you want to, you know, I, I, but there's a, be- there's a real reason that I don't go. I don't always not go. But, you know, when I, but last time I went, I went, we have a Talmud Yeshiva. The Appels are like a great, uh, a great nephew, I think, of the, uh, of, of the Rabbit Center of Steinemann. Through marriage, they're, they're related, so they have like a way to get in there right away. So he called me, asked me if I want to come with them. So I, I came with them, and it was a very, very, you know, interesting experience. But in general, I don't like wasting Gedalim's time. Their time is, is very valuable. And more than that, there, there are very scary mices that happen when you, with Gedalim. There's, there's a mice that's said about Rukhaim Kanievsky. I don't know firsthand if it's true, but this is what I read once about Rukhaim. That there was a person who came to him and Rukhaim asked him, you know, are you sure? I think this person was having tsaras of some sort. He says, so Rukhaim said, there's something that you're eating that's like a nevela. You're eating, you're not being makhbed on, on nevelas. Not being makhbed on nevelas? What are you talking about? I go shopping in only kosher supermarkets and I think all our pots and pans are fine and, you know, and, and I'm very makhbed on the right ash coffee. So I don't know. He says, but I see on your forehead that you have a cow. There's an image of a cow that I see on your forehead. And that's what gives me the ability to, to know that there's something I think is, there's some Nebel's that's going on by you, you have to be very careful about. And that's, he did some research and he found that maybe he was taking some medicines or whatever that had some lard on it or some, you know, some tumor. He was, some, something that he was eating was slipping right under the radar and he was taka, you know, ingesting things that, that were problematic. But, it's a frightening thing that, you know, you go to somebody and people that are, you know, that are, are sensitive to things, they're able to look at you and see right through you and know exactly what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And to me, that's too frightening. I can't deal with that. I, you know, it's, it, it's just a frightening thing to be able to have people, you know, I have, it's enough, the Yemadina Gadol, I can't go through that, you know, when I go there, so I like to relax, I can't have the pressure of having people know whatever I'm doing. And 
That's the ability, Yitzchak Avinu, have that sensitivity to, to see and to smell. Re'ei re'ach for him, it's a, it, he was blind, wasn't he? Re'ei re'ach he was able to see with his nose. He was able to smell the re'ach, the perception of Kedusha in the, in the re'ach of the garments that Yaakov Avinu was wearing. Which, by the way, begs the question, weren't these garments that Yaakov Avinu was wearing, these were big day Esau. He was wearing Esau's begotten. Why in the world did Esau's begotten smell of Gan Eden? It's not Yaakov Avinu's begotten. So Schneer Cutler, of Aaron Cutler's son, brings a Yerushalmi that says that on the Pasuk of Big Day Esau Hamudais, these were not Stam Esav's garments that he used for Avedizara and Gilarash Vichasamim. These were Esav's garments that he set aside just for one purpose, and that's to be Mishamish his father. He was Mishamish with his Kayach of Bukhar, even though he had sold the Bukhar, but he still feared like a Bukhar. And he used like a Bukhar, like a Kayin Gadol, he was able to watch, he was able to serve his father using these begotten, and we know that he excelled in one mitzvah, and that was the mitzvah of Kibbut Abayim. And Rav Shner says, we know that the Nefesh HaChayim, Rav Chaim Belajner says, and when a person does a mitzvah, he is mis'atev, the Kedusha of the mitzvah is mis'atev, it surrounds him. It's makif the Adam with this special R of Kedusha al-Yayna, and that is his chilek in Gan Eden. Meaning, a person has a chalik in Gan Eden, when a person puts on a talus, when a person wears filling, when a person does kibbutz, he is surrounded by the R of that Kedusha, of Bishasad, he's doing that mitzvah. So Rav Shner says that the reason why the big day Esav had the reyach of Gan Eden is because the big day Esav were used and earmarked Mizuman for the purpose of serving his father. And whenever he served his father, and he did it so perfectly, he had the Kedusha of the Ara Elian of the Mitzvah of Kibbut Avaim. And so that surrounded the Begadim, that permeated the very fabric of those Begadim, and that's what Yitzchak Avinu was able to smell. This is, has the aroma of Gan Eden, because these were not Stam Begadim, these were the Begadim that were used for a mitzvah. When a person, even an Esav, uses Begadim to do a mitzvah, those Begadim have Kedusha, they have a Reach of Gan Eden in them. I just had a Haisafa of my own on that guard of Shner. So then why doesn't every Begad have a Reach of Gan Eden? Meaning, why was Yaakov Avino, why was Yitzchak Dafka, you know, Smelling these, these this, the reach of his begotten. Why not the, the big day? Yitzchak also did a lot of mitzvahs. Why wasn't he able to say every time Yitzchak came into the room with his normal begotten, you know, wow, I smell the reach of, uh, of, of the Sadeh. Asher Berka Hashem, why dafka the big day Esau? And I think the shot may be, I don't know how that, uh, you know, I think that the shot may be that we, when we do mitzvahs, the reason why the reach of Gan Eden is not necessarily so palpable, it's because our Gan Eden is in Gan Eden. Our Gan Eden is set aside for us, Lassad Lavad. That's when we'll really be able to be nana from the Ar Hamakif, which is our Chelag in Gan Eden, like Abchaim Lajner says. 
Right? Esav. Esav got his Gan Eden in this world. Esav doesn't have an Eilam Haba. Gayim do not have the Eilam Haba that Pa Yisrael has. They get their Eilam Haba and Eilam Hazah. Their Eilam Hazah is their Eilam Haba. If they do good in this world, they get paid back in this world. That's why Tzadvar Allah Rosh That's Rav Dessler's Pshad and Tzadvar Allah Rosh Hashanah pays back a Russia with good in this world, not because he's so fantastic, but it's in order to pay off the bill before he goes up to Shemayim, so he doesn't have to give him anything. But a tzaddik whose Gan Eden is in Eilam Haba, he's, it's Raleigh because he's deprived of the good because he doesn't, it's not for now, it's for later. And so it could be that when Yitzchak Avinu, when Yaakov wore his normal begadim, it didn't have that same snow because the Gan Eden is is Lamala. But Esau brought down his Ganadin to this world, and that's why it was so clearly perceptible to Yitzchak that there was the smell of Ganadin because the Ganadin was here in this world. There's a Misa that took place After World War One, there was a city in Poland. The city in Poland, I don't know the name, but the Gaim in the city, the Polish Gaim are were, were known to always be very anti-Semitic. And they wanted to build a highway that ran right through the Jewish cemetery in this in the city. And you know, it's not like today that you could, you know you know, do anything about it. If the, if the local Gayim wanted to do that, that was it. There was no protest, there was no government, you know, intervention, it was, there was no, you know, threat. That was it. So they had to, they were given a few days to get rid of all of the, exhume all the farm or as many as they could, before the steamrollers start coming through this road, to build this road. And so they were digging up very quickly a lot of graves, a lot of Yidden that died in the cem- that, that were buried in the cemetery over the centuries. They dug up a certain grave of a Yid by the name of Reb Naftali, who lived many, many years before that, and he lived in the in the uh, in the late 1700s or mid 1800s. And they found a very strange thing. First of all, when you know, when you exhume a, a body and the body has been decomposing for a long time, there's very little left, just the skeleton of the body, if, if, if that much. And so everyone, they were exhuming skeletons. But this of Naphtali, his body was completely intact. Now, if a person's body is completely intact, that's a sign that he's a tzaddik. You know, they, when they had to exhume the Vilna Gain's body for a certain reason, they moved it to a different cemetery, and they say that the people that exhumed the body could not believe when they dug up the body of the Vilna Gain, his cheeks were still rosy. His cheeks were as red as the day they were nifted, and this is 200 years after it was nifted. So this of Naphtali was not a well-known, you know, goggle, his body was still intact, but that wasn't the only strange thing about this Reb Naftali. He was buried in a priest's outfit, in a uniform of a priest, of a galah. That's how this Reb Naftali was buried. Very, very strange. He was obviously a tzaddik because he was intact, 
But mitzat sheni, if he's such a tzaddik, why is he wearing a priest's garment? That's a strange way for a yid to be buried. So they did a little research, and they asked the ziknei year of this town, you know, if they knew, if they remembered, or if they heard maybe from their father something about who this Yom Naftali was. And there was a recollection of exactly what happened with this man. What happened was, he was a Gabay Tzedakah. He was like, you know, the go-to man. If there was ever a problem, he was the one that ran all of the charitable um, endeavors in this city. He was the person to go to. And one time, there was a a rash of problems, of financial problems in this city. And there was a knock on the door of Rav Naftali's house, and the person comes and says, Rav Naftali, you know, you have to help me. I'm, you know, they're foreclosing on my house. The bank is about to take my house away. You got to come, I need to come up with a few thousand dollars. Rav Naftali right away puts on his shoes and puts on his jacket and goes to Gavirim in town and raises the necessary funds and brings them back like he, you know, the tzaddik that he was, and that crisis was solved. Then Rav Naftali goes back to his house, and an hour later, there's another knock on the door, and there was an almana that Nebuch, she can't afford to, you know, feed her children, and Yantiv is coming up, and, you know, and, and she has no, no way to heat the house, and terrible matzav, and she needs a few hundred dollars just to get her through, and he goes back to those Gevirim, because there aren't, there wasn't that much money in the town to begin with, and again, he asks and he raises the money, you know, one way or another, and he brings it to the Salmana, and he puts out that fire. And then an hour later, there was another person that came, a Yassim, and Nebuch, his father, just died, and he wanted to buy a pair of fillin, and he raised the money for that also. He went back to the same Gebirim, and then there was a knock on the door a fourth time, a very busy day, and it was another very big Tzairach that you know, needed several thousand dollars for a crisis of, you know, an illness maybe. And I said, I don't know what to tell you. I, you know, I just, I can't, you can't keep going back and squeezing water out of a rock. I mean, it was hard for me to get the first guy's money. I went to the, these Gevirim already three times today. There's no more money left to be had. What am I supposed to do? So the person I don't know, but I, you know, but, you know, but the doctor needs to get paid and the surgery needs to happen. He says, okay. So I'm going to try my best, but I don't know if I'll be able to. And sure enough, he went to those Gevirim. The Gevirim like, didn't even open the door anymore for him. And he was going around figuring out what to do, and he couldn't. And he went into a, like into a pub, into a salon of some sort, and, you know, just to get a drink, or just to, you know, sit down for a minute. And in this salon, in this little bar, let's call it, there was a group of people that were playing cards, a bunch of, you know, Moshe of Leitzim, classical Moshe of Leitzim, people sitting around the table playing cards, drinking beer, a little shikr, smoking probably, and, you know, and one of the people sitting around uh, was the son of a very wealthy individual. And this kid was a very wealthy kid himself, you know, he... He, you know, he had a trust fund, and he was, you know, very flush with money, and and this Gabbai, this Ibn Naftali, you know, had nothing to lose, he goes over and asks the table, he says, listen, you know, it's a very big problem in town, very sick person, and, 
you know, we need to find money. Maybe some of you could, you know, put up some money. I see you're gambling anyway here. Maybe you could give me some chips from your, whatever. I need something to come back to this person with. And they were laughing at him. What are you coming to us for? And one guy, this rich guy said, how much money do you need? He says, I need 20 rubles. 20 rubles is a lot of money. He says, I'll give you the 20 rubles. But on one condition, what's the condition? I want, we want to have fun today. We're in the mood to have some entertainment. It says, if you agree to wear a Galach's outfit, you wear a uniform of a Galach, you wear the clothes of a Galach of a priest, in the middle of a Jewish city, that was, you know, that was sacrilege. You know, you know, I don't think any of us would wear a priest's garment walking down Main Street, but back in the old days in the Shetloch of Europe, Al-Atarev, Al-Avayda, with Kedusha Batara, you know, that's the, you know, if you wore that, you would never do a shidduch for your children, you would never be allowed to get an aliyah and shul. If you wear the Galaf's clothing, then we were, and we're gonna make a parade, we're gonna make a big parade, we're all gonna march behind you, we're gonna play musical instruments, we're gonna make a whole big simus about it. If you wanna do that, if you're asking to do that, fine, otherwise you're not gonna get the money. So this Rav Naftali was such a tzaddik, he wasn't thinking about his own covet or his family's covet. All he wanted to do was be a loyal Baal Tzedakah, Gabe Tzedakah. So he says, fine, I'll do it. So this young, you know, rich kid runs to his house, comes back with this black, you know, uniform with a collar, with the whole thing, and gives it to him. And they march him through town, and he's leading the pack, and nobody could believe what's going on. This Chash of Agabe is dressed in a priest outfit, and there's, you know, a tuba playing behind, there's a guitar playing, there's drums beating, and everybody's coming out of their stores and out of their homes and laughing at this, at this spectacle. And that's what it was, but at the end of the day, Tully got the 20 rubles, and he gave it, he ran to give it to this person that needed it, and the person thanked him. And he took off the, the, the gallop's clothing and he threw it in the bottom of his closet and he forgot about it. Now, a few years after that Misa happened, the Divrei Chaim, Reb Chaim of Sanz, he lived from 1793 to 1876. He was walking through this city in Poland and he's walking, walking, walking right through the city and he tells us his, the, the chassidim around him, that I smell the reyach of Gan Eden. I don't know what it is, I don't know where it's coming from, but I smell in this town the reyach of Gan Eden. I can't believe it. I smell mamash da And they say, well, where is it? They say, I don't know, but it's coming in that direction, from that direction. So he starts walking in that direction, and the smell is getting stronger and stronger. And they go, and they... And he says, it's from this house. It's from this house. It's coming from... And they knock on the door, and Rabbi Tali opens the door. He can't believe he sees the Chaim in front of his eyes. And he says, Rabbi, Shalom Aleichem, you know, come in, have a drink. He says, no, 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 I, I'm not here for that. He says, what can I do for you? What, is the, what do I owe the, the honor of having the Rabbi visit my home? He says, there's a smell coming from this house. Do you mind if I walk in and find the smell? He says, no, go ahead, the whole house is yours. So he walks to a closet, opens up the closet, and he looks down, and he picks up the begadim, 
this Galos clothing and he smells and he says, this has the Reach of Gan Eden, this is Kerech HaSadash Eberach HaShem, this has the smell of Gan Eden, but it's Galos clothing. Tell me the story. And Amnathali tells him exactly what happened, how he had all those people that he was collecting money for and how this very destitute person comes to him with this great crisis and he went to the bar and they did this thing and he had Bizyanis walking through town with the golf clothing but he got the 20 rubles and he was able to makayim this mitzvah of tzedakah v'chesed and that was the story the Debrechayim says to him you should just know that that one maisa that you had this is your ticket to Gan Eden you were kinda Gan Eden with that one maisa Bizyanis that you did for another year. And you should know that I'm advising you that when you die, leave in your tzavah that you want to be buried not in the regular tachrichim that the Chavar Kaddisha normally puts on a person, but these should be your tachrichim. This Galach's outfit is going to be the way that you walk straight into Elam Haba, straight through the gates of Gan Eden because of this, in this chus of that one chesed that he did. The kachava, and that's why Naftali was buried in this priest outfit, and that's why his body was intact many decades after his patira, because he was a tzaddik of such magnitude, because he was able to do this chesed, although the, the price was, the cost was so high, he figured that this was worth it for another yid. This is what this is what the Reach of Kedusha and the Reach of Tumah is all about. And we have to try to be sensitive to Kedusha and to Tumah. We have to try to, you know, allow our senses to hone in on Kedusha. When we find a place that's holy, when we find a Rebbe who's holy, when we find a Sefer that we like, when we're able to find the Yeshiva, a Shul, that we're comfortable in, that we feel that reach, that's where we should follow. Even though, you know, people might say otherwise, people might say different, you have to follow your sense of Kedusha. We all have it, it's all within us. A lot of it has been desensitized over the years because we are, because we have been exposed to too much sometimes. But we know inherently, deep down inside, when something is right and something is wrong, when some activity that we're about to do is right, or if it's not right, and we should use, we should go with our gut. We should feel the Kedusha, and we should run after that if it is holy to us. And if it's Tameh, then it should be Tameh, Tameh Yikra, we should push it as far away from us as possible. This is the site of Yaakov and Esau. Yaakov represents to us all things of Klal Yisrael, the world of Tyra, of Kedusha, of Tyra, the world of Aaron Cutler in America. And then we know that there's a world of Tumah that's also very attractive. The smell of Tumah sometimes is too strong for us to look away from. And we're attracted to it. But we have to work, each and every one of us, on understanding that we have in our neshama, the kayak, to smell good from bad, to know right from wrong. We instinctively know that. But we have to follow our instincts more and better and be able to run after the Kedusha, that when we pass by a shul, when we pass by a yeshiva, when we pass by 
a makim that's Kaddish Vitar. We are Mefachish Ratzish. We are dying to go there because we understand that we are, you know, being drawn by the, the waft in the air of the Kedusha. And at the same token, when we are faced with Tuma, we shouldn't be attracted to that Tuma. That's the Sahara that's pulling us towards that. That's the Esav inside of us. That's Mefachish Ratzish to go to Tuma. We have to push it away. We have to say we are Yaakov. We are descendants of Yaakov Avinu. We are the Talmidim of the Talmidim of Rav Aaron Kotler and the great Gedalim who have instilled in us the, the ability to have the Chush of the Ruach. Rav Aaron Kotler used to say that the Chavetz Chaim, he, 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 he heard from the Chavetz Chaim a lot of mice about the Vilna Gaon. If you look through the Ksavim of Aaron, Aaron always used to quote the Vilna Gaon. To him, the Vilna Gaon was, and, and the Vilna Gaon was, even not him, but, but Aaron Kotler was always very, you know, he understood the Vilna Gaon was our Messiah, and that, you know, and he, and he, he cherished Mises. And you think of Aaron Kotler, didn't, you know, he was just tired, 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 and Mises are like, you know, that's for Hasidim, that's not for, that's not for uh, Litvish, uh, you know, Rashiba, Rav Aaron Kotler's stature. Rav Aaron Kotler used to say Mises galore about, about, specifically about the Grah. Others also, but the Grah was to him Kaddish Kadashim. And, and he always used to say, and he said, he didn't stop say Mises that, you know, were hearsay. All the Mises that he used to quote from the Vilna, from, from the, um, from about the Vilna Gain, he heard directly from the Chavetz Chaim. And the Chavetz Chaim heard it from people who themselves saw it from the Vilna Gain or were in, were alive in the time of the Vilna Gain. Because the Vilna or the Chavetz Chaim, was 17 years old and he spent time in Vilna. And the Chavetz Chaim was, they say, 105 years old when he was Nifter. So he was able to see people that were alive in the Tkufa of, of the Vilna Gain. So whatever he heard was Mamish Edus, like firsthand Edus, or, or through the Chavetz What the Chavetz Chaim knew about the Vilna Gain was, you know, was, was basically Aid Miki Aid. Very close to the Vilna Gaim. And Rav Aaron heard it from, from the Chavetz Chaim. And I think one of the mices that they say about the Vilna Gaim, that Rav Aaron used to say, is that there was a place that was in a shul somewhere in Europe, and whoever had, whoever davened in this, in a certain place, had kavana, like amazing kavana that they never had in their life. It was like, I think there was a furnace in the shul, if I remember correctly, and right behind the furnace, whoever davened there, like davened like they never, and they, and they did some research and they found that the Vilna Gain once tri- had a tour through this trip, through this town. He davened in this place. And wherever, that mukham that the Vilna Gain davened, that had kedusha, you know, for a hundred years later, for two hundred years later, because he was there, he he set a ruach into place. There is something. There is there is something that you could feel of a tzaddik, even when the tzaddik's not there. There's nothing to see, but there's a place that you that you can feel a tzaddik. You could feel kedusha b'chush. And just to take it a step further, Rev. Aaron Cutler in the summer, he used to go to a certain hotel in the country. And, or I think somewhere in, in, in the Catskills, if I'm not mistaken, 
and he used to learn out in a in in a in the woods, like in a in a forest. He would put a chair in a shender, and he would sit and learn there by himself. Mamish like you know, Kitarik and Sinasla. And when a Shustal, Ramesha Feinstein Sunla was himself a, a Gain Ilam, he himself went many years after, I think, Rav Aaron's Patira to this very hotel, and he asked the owner of the hotel, I want to know where Rav Aaron sat. Where did Rav Aaron sit learning? So they, they pointed him to that spot in the woods that Rav Aaron sat, and he, like, he said, like, he could feel the Kedusha there. He said, this is, this is Maimon Arsini right here. When there's Kedusha, when we're able to be receptive to Kedusha, it's an amazing thing. You're able to feel Kedusha. Now, we have to feel good about ourselves in order to feel that Kedusha. We have to push away from the Tumba. But if a person is able to be on that Madrego, there is no greater place in the world than that. We, are being, we, are, we have the ability to have a Hekif, to be surrounded by Kedusha. But we have to be careful, every one of us, that we don't allow our sensitivities to be to go awry and to lose touch, to lose the sight, to lose the feel, to lose the smell of the Kedusha and to be attracted to the Tumah. That's what defines a Yaakov and Esau already from the womb. The fact that if you have a Ruach of Kedusha, are you attracted to Kedusha? Are you, are you like under the, you know, the, the, the constant auspices of Kedusha or are you led the other direction? If we are Bnei Banim of Yatra Avinu, then we'll allow ourselves to once again be holy enough to feel Kedusha, to appreciate Kedusha, and only to the Mepharches Lotzes, to the Eilam of Tayyip. Have a good